It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born Hello, welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place. Of course, as always, we are back in a shared universe studio here in Eatontown, New Jersey. Mike and Mingy take great care of us, buds. Uh, I think your sound engineer died today, though. <laughs> He's dead. Near death. Kahuna's here behind the ones and twos. It's um, his ghost today. With yeah. a near-death experience. Jesus, man. It's a, he, he hobbled in, too. He looked like um, the, the spirit of 76, yep. walking around with a, the patch over his eyes and everything. But oh, we're here. Yeah. Got a, my hot dilf of a dad is in the building, all right, with his blue yeah. shirt complimenting his nice, soft eyes, ladies. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> He's got a mustache trim going on, too, uh, a haircut recently. You look good, sir. No. But uh, say hi to the people. Yeah, we're all good. We're all good. Excellent. I'm then, a little concerned with Kahuna here. He was doing that Spirit of 76 routine coming in here. but uh, <laughs> He has promised not to bleed on any of the equipment. Maybe. Okay. I, I, I did. That. Plus, we're lucky we're at a red table. So it's if I there did, it's not like it's going to bug you. It's all about blending in, man, here. Now, exactly. uh, we also have another guest I'm going to bring on. Uh, at, by request, actually. A lot of people have wanted this guy on the show, um, family members included, uh, friends that have met him before. And this is true. Uh, the Burke cousins, who have all been on the show here for the most part, except for you, Brian, if we ever get you on the show back from China. Um, <laughs> very fun here uh, on my mom's side of the family, one of my favorite people on planet Earth. Uncle Paulie joins the show. Uncle Paul, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Where's the cake? What's you that? said there'd be cake. <laughs> did you get me here under false pretenses? We well, a- no, he, he did have cake, but then it, it just looks so delicious. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to save a piece. That's why Kahuna's about to lose his foot. It's from diabetes from the kid. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the gout. <laughs> there you go. Brutal, man. Brutal. Now, uh, Uncle Paul is here uh, in the show. Uh, Uncle Paul, now you married into the family uh, because you're an Italian fellow. Is that correct? No, because my father-in-law said, if you marry this girl, I'll give you a Lincoln. Okay, because he drove these beautiful cars. <laughs> it was five bucks he gave me. I got totally screwed. Lincoln Logs is what he was going for. No, nah, he gave you a little toy Lincoln car. He was like, here you go. It's a little fucking Hot Wheels car. Yeah, Hot Wheels. There you I go. do respect that the $5 denomination, for those who don't know, features President Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln. Solid joke here, Uncle Paul. I appreciate you doing the show. Um, you're here for, uh, first of all, you're fun to talk to. You always have been. Uh, you're also here because there's going to be uh, Italian words and places and last names in this story that these two dumb Irish kids uh, in front of you right. are not going to be able to pronounce. Uh, it's going to cost you a dollar just the same. <laughs> <laughs> We're calling in the uh, expert testimony and pronunciation here from the, the Italian side of the family. Well, it's going to be – now, this is exactly how you want it. You want to have an Italian uncle because then uh, you know that you're getting uh, – first of all, he cooks for every holiday. Right. We got – we're going from Mother's Day tomorrow. Mother's Day is supposed to be about the women, but in the back of everybody's mind, we're like, ooh, all right, prime rib, cigars, you know, a couple of nice craft beers from Kane Brewing Company. <laughs> you know, all for mom. you got to enjoy it. It's for mom. Right, right. So. <laughs> it's for the mothers. 
But uh, yeah, uh, how much of this story? Because you know the topic, obviously, Uncle Paul. How much about these two guys did you know before we started researching for? Well, I, I know they didn't like authority, particularly government. They hated everybody. Italians in general. Well, no, no, these two guys. Now, let's not say <laughs> Italians in general. That's the kind of shit that happened down south when they mixed all the people from Sicily with black people, American Indians. And any Spanish person. In fact, there was a major lynching going on in New Orleans during yep. the same time Sanctioned period. by the mayor down there. That's a crazy story, too, for another yeah. episode. But, that, yeah, there's a wild history with that stuff. Yeah. And then also we're talking about um, you have the whole uh, the Creole people down there when you're mixing a little bit of everything. Yeah. And that's how you make Beyonce, guys. If you're looking for a recipe at home. <laughs> there you go. Right? But, you don't always get good-looking women out of that recipe, but, you know. I don't know. I've never uh, met that was a winner person. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, you're always drunk. Everybody looks good. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, today, if you haven't figured it out yet, guys, uh, we're going to be talking about two guys who are almost the definition of American losers here. Uh, pretty difficult. Uh, difficult More so story. than Gateau. It's uh, it's weird, man. Uh, Gateau, there's almost a charming quality to his story where he's so wacky, he's almost lovable, like Charles Manson. Um, <laughs> If you don't know what we're talking about, it's the second episode of the show we ever did. The forgotten assassinated president, James A. Garfield, was killed by this ridiculous human being uh, named Charles J. Gateau. Now, today, we're going to dive in on a little bit of a wacky story here. But just to give you guys a little frame of reference to the time period we're going to be talking about. On August 23rd, 1921, two Italian immigrants were given the death penalty via the electric chair at Charlestown State Penitentiary in Boston, Massachusetts. Wait, I know who... I think I know who we're talking about oh, today. I can't, I can't wait. We're going to slow burn this room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, this was no ordinary execution, however, Mr. Kahuna. Um, the protests are being held around the world in support of sparing the two men's lives. Protests, petitions, even riots were erupting against the verdict and execution of just two working-class Americans. All right, They were getting letters and petitions signed by the likes of Albert Einstein, okay, considered one of the smartest men in the entire world. Uh, also, uh, there was a, a, a very fun gentleman in Italy who uh, quietly through back channels was trying to arrange for the, uh, the release uh, of these two guys so they could be sent back home to their native Italy. Uh, that gentleman's name was uh, Benito Mussolini. How do you guys feel about him, Uncle Paul? <laughs> oh, he, he was great at architecture. A, he had <laughs> shit built like like that. It was amazing. And he made the trains run on time. That's it. That's <laughs> it. And, uh, and so that's on. another episode, and he's not an American loser. He's a Well, I mean, when you're dragged and beaten by your own people through the streets, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's the happy ending. There are still people in Italy who adore him. It's weird. It, it it's, is. There's, uh, there's always going to be some sort of a fun, and it depends because history is always written by uh, those who uh, uh, have hung heroes. It was one of the quotes I heard. But it's just not a, a quote I heard. That's just from Braveheart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we're going to talk about these guys here today. Uh, these two gentlemen who were given the electric chair, as we said, on August uh, 23rd, 1921. Uh, named, I, th I think I know the names. Give, Can it I a, give it a guess, babe. Is one of them Sacco? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's uh, Mr. Sacco and Mick Foley from WWE. <laughs> <laughs> no, not Sacco. Uh, no. Nic shit. Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti. Okay, Wait, so I, I just thought, I butchered the name, but I, I okay. I thought you told me this was Nancy and Sluggo. I did all this research. <laughs> Nancy and Sluggo for no reason. Oh, so it's not the Scolari brothers. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're getting a lot of good references in here. <laughs> Uncle Floyd's proud. The Ghostbusters are proud. Life is good. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Nicola Sacco and Bartolomeo Vanzetti, uh, Italians love a lot of things. You guys love cooking. You guys love family and vowels. Big, big fan of vowels. This guy's – I can't imagine trying to write this kid's name in cursive. Can't use enough. Oof. Brutal. But 
we got to unpack this story here uh, of what would become the uh, the infamous duo known as Sacco and Vanzetti. Um, LP, the time frame that we're dealing with right now is a little bit wacky in American history, right? I think it's becoming my favorite the more we're learning about it because you start getting senses of the modern world but mixed with old age kind oh, of stuff it's, too. Oh, it's all kinds, of, all kinds of fun and games going on all, all over the world, not just in the United States but in Europe. We're just getting over the – we just finished the, the First World War. Yep, the, the Great it's still known War, as the Great as the War. Like, the Great War, as the Brits like to call it, but it was the <laughs> World War, First World War here in the United States, um, which a lot of people viewed as America entering into the war to save Europe because, uh, you know, France and, and Great Britain were pretty much on the, on the ropes. They were about to lose it all, um, opposing uh, Germany. But And there's a lot of upheaval politically all over the world, not just in Europe, uh, South America, Japan, China. I mean, there's unrest all over the place. This is like the start of the modern world because, by the way, Sacco and Vanzetti, they don't know each other in Italy. They're from different parts of Italy. But uh, now, uh, Uncle Paul, the Petrunas are what in terms of uh, – what are the uh, the designations to for – there's uh, there's di- the Caprice uh, versus the Sicilians versus the Napolitan or whatever. My mother was from Salerno. My Got father it. was from Orange, New Jersey. There's <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. your Jersey reference for this episode. <laughs> you gotta give me a break. Fair enough on that one. Well, uh, the two of them come over at different times here. Uh, now, Sacco immigrates from Italy at age 17, uh, Vanzetti at 20. They both leave Italy the same year, 1908, but they don't meet in person until 1917 at a labor strike. Okay. Now, as my father was saying, it's unparalleled, the, the times that they're living in here. There's a lot of noteworthy events. You're in post-industrial revolution America, so you got these modern marvels as well as modern perils. There's this need for a labor union because you got to expose and oppose, rather, the corrupt business practices of some of these people that are like – these guys are working like 12, 13-hour days, no health benefits, no raises. Wages are like way below standard. See, there's a need for this labor movement, OK? Now, do they do they execute everything the right way? I, I no, think that's – they went through a – a learning curve, let's say. Yeah, there's a little bit of an overcorrection. And it's, at a, times. it's a whole situation of the haves and have nots. There really wasn't a real big middle class just yet. And it was really part of the labor unions that helped create the middle class. But uh, labor, uh, after the First World War, there was a lot, a lot of labor strikes that, you know, people were, were sucking it up during the war for the war effort and everything else. And now the all the all the boys are back home and uh, laborers. There's a lot of unrest there. It's just things were not smooth. That's for sure. Now, also in terms of immigration that's coming into the country, at the time of World War One, I, I always talk about this because this quote fascinates me. The two biggest immigrant populations in the United States were Irish and German. You know that, Uncle Paul. I wasn't there. Don't blame it on me. <laughs> well, the German print newspapers were the most popular newspapers in America at the time when oh, America sure. was they going. Oh, sure. They could read. To, they were going to war with the Germans, too. That's <laughs> the crazy part. So now, if you're the United States, if you're going to get into a war, now you've got to tell these Germans uh, that if you, ju- if you decide to join with the Germans, all right, you're going to piss uh, you know, a lot of people off, a lot of your allies. But if you go against the Germans, now you're going to send the grandsons of the Germans to go fight their cousins. All right. And then also, if you're aiding uh, Great Britain, you're now pissing off all the Irish that escaped Great Britain in order to come to America and try to start over again. But there's this weird thing where these guys are all friggin' um, – a lot of them are English-speaking people to begin with. Like a lot of the Germans spoke many languages. The Irish kind of – you know, I don't know if the Irish still speak English to be honest well, with you. No. <laughs> it's debatable. And the biggest 
uh, Irish immigrant wave actually happened during the the Great Famine. So we're talking like the 1840s. 1847 was uh, the the worst of it. But uh, at this particular point in time now, um, the largest immigrant wave is no longer the Irish and the Germans. They're they're now second generation uh, in this country, and they're starting to get themselves established a little bit. Mm -hmm. So now we have another immigrant wave, which was uh, Southern Europe. Uh, a lot of Italians were, were taken into that, and now they're the they're the dirty immigrants that are uh, coming up to the America's shores. In uh, now they're big on the Pope, the Wizard, and the Shiny yeah, Hat, as we call them on the show, which is another strike going against the Italian immigrants because and they they're still no Catholic. speak of the English. And they no speak of the English. I mean, the dirty Irish Catholics, uh, but at least most of them spoke English or what you could at least be understood as English where now you have these non-English speaking immigrants coming through there and uh, the Italian immigrants are now flooding the country beginning in like mm, around 1880 or so. So uh, we're second generation Irish uh, are already established here. But between uh, 1900 and 1920, there was 3 million Italian immigrants that uh, <laughs> uh, immigrated into the United States. So that's a pretty good uh, swath of people. And a lot of them were Sicilian. And a lot of them who went south integrated with the black people because they didn't know about being prejudiced. They did, oh, business, a, with, yeah. they did business with them. They intermarried. Because uh, you got, um, as we talked about, the Barbary Coast around that yeah. time frame. They had one of the best navies so they could sail everywhere. And they dealt with Sicily a lot. Mm -hmm. So actually the king of Sicily... Um, at one time was actually involved with uh, the American Navy uh, having its first kind of war with the Barbary pirates. We talked about that in another episode. Yeah, and in Italy itself, I mean, that's in all kinds of political turmoil, too. It wasn't a unified uh, country, per se, at this particular point. And a lot of people felt that the whole First World War was fought. It was an imperialist war, that it was just all these various kings and princesses and everybody else uh, fighting over the uh, expansion of, of their own financial and, and territorial rights kind of a thing. And it was the poor the poor slob that's in the trenches that's slugging it out and dying by the thousands with, as you mentioned, this new, you know, we're entering into the mechanical age, technological warfare that now we can kill people with gas by the thousands uh, in, as you're in the slop of the trenches. Uh, now, it's funny you said that too because um, there is the sense of the, the hopelessness with that, but there also is this weird sense of, uh, what one person can do, the difference one person can make. One man can make a difference, Michael. It's uh, and it, here's the weirdest part, Cahoons. This makes th this is why these guys got treated the way they got treated. Uh, there's a gentleman, all right, uh, by the name of uh, Gavrilo Princip, okay, and uh, he's an anarchist, and uh, he's also a member of the Black Hand. So this is one guy who uh, really does not like um, the government. Cahoon, that that was very funny, but that was a visual <laughs> gag. <you bastard. laughs> But uh, our boy Gavrilo Princip uh, is an anarchist and a member of the Black Hand, like I said, and, and uh, he goes ahead and he, uh, amongst a bunch of other people, they all try to kill the uh, Archduke Franz Ferdinand. In killing him, Gavrilo Princip sets in you know, motion a chain of events that literally become World War I. So the modern world is all done by one radical guy who decided he was going to do one thing. And uh, the entire world has not been By assassinating the – Yeah. He killed the Archduke and then the entire world goes to war because of it. Right. I think you ought to expand a little bit too. What is an anarchist? That uh, you know, that, as you say, one guy could make a make a difference, kind of a thing. Um, 
And I don't know if you want to get into that at all. But Do you have some like actual hard definitions of that? Because the, the confusing thing that always be, uh, a lot of people always have is they wind up screwing up the difference between an anarchist and uh, a libertarian. So libertarians are believing in a limited small government and then kind of you know uh, privatization of certain things. Anarchists are kind of like no government at all. No government at all. Leave me the fuck alone. Right. And let's blow it up. Let's. Uh, that's the other problem is that uh, anarchy sounds great until you realize all the violence that usually comes with it. And we're going to talk about some fucked up shit here today with that. But so uh, now all of a sudden you got to start paying attention here because uh, before Gavrilo Princip pulls the trigger on Franz Ferdinand, uh, Russia is still a monarchy. All right, that's no longer the case at the end of World War One. Uh, they've now been taken over by the Bolsheviks, and they are uh, implementing their form of uh, Marxism. They are now a communist country underneath Vladimir Lenin, and a lot of people are dying. Now you got to slap around a guy named Ferdinand. Come on, <laughs> you're in school, Billy here, Johnny here, Ferdinand, slap. Come on, yo, Tim, yeah. John, Ferdinand. If he had a backhand early on, we probably would have changed the course of world history, right? Very cool. Actually, uh, off topic slightly, but um, uh, Franz was uh, was actually very progressive for a member of the monarchy. So they inadvertently killed the guy who probably would have been the biggest ally for what the black hand actually wanted. Because this shit never works out the way it's supposed to. But uh, radicals—that's the key here. This one man was a radical. He was a member of a group of radicals. Now you got to pay attention to radicals, okay? Because radicals just change the entire world. All right? It's pretty crazy here. But uh, now, a lot of this stuff, especially for people who are working class people, especially like the immigrants like Sacco and Vanzetti, wind up being this whole Marxism thing, very appealing because they keep talking about the plight of the proletariat. That's the working class people, the people making everything. Right. So if this guy's telling you, hey, you, you've been. You're not getting a fair shake here, man. You deserve this. Uh, you know, we need to work harder for you. I want to work harder for you. This system's going to be designed to help you. You're like, all right, tell me more about it. Right. It's almost like they're pitching it like it's a, a Tybo commercial. Tell the have-nots that we're <laughs> gonna we're gonna have something a big slice of the pie for you, and just you know, come along with our with our theory, with our ideals. Exactly. It's like Nutrisystem. You know what I mean? That's what they're trying to pitch it as. So, but. Now, uh, all these issues combine uh, into this large wave of immigration from the European countries like we talked about. And uh, America starts getting some anti-immigrant feelings again, okay? And it's not – I still don't think it's actually racism. I think it's the inability to communicate. So like when someone doesn't speak English, you know, people will be like, oh, that's racism. But what if it's, what if it's a guy from Poland and I'm dealing with him? We're both blonde-haired, blue-eyed guys looking at each other and the guy from Poland just can't speak English. I'm not going to be like, well – at least he's white, right? That's not my thing. I, I can't talk to you, man. We don't know what the hell we're doing. That's why the frustration happens there. You get these people living up on top of each other. It's all sorts of crazy stuff. And America at this time uh, is crazy nationalist, okay? We just won the Great War. We're a superpower, right? And we went, you know, Teddy Roosevelt is, uh, you know, still alive and kicking for the most part. And uh, he's got this sense of nationalism and uh, American exceptionalism kind of brewing from within us. And then now these uh, immigrants are coming over here and they're like, oh, well, I mean, they're not part of us. They're just here now, right? Little grease balls. Come yeah. on. You got to figure the guy's four foot tall and he's dark. He doesn't speak English. He's from outer space. Come on. I like to picture all the immigrants as uh, Pesci coming over because this is a boatload of Joe Pesci's. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the whole thing, too. I mean, um, America was really just wanted to stay out of that whole war. They mm -hmm. were isolationists that Woodrow Wilson on his uh, second presidential campaign ran on the platform of, well, at least he kept us out of war, that, you know, everybody was like, well, we got we have to side with the Germans, no, we have to side with the British, no, and we don't have to side with the French and whatever. I mean, everybody was being 
very uh, torn apart with their allegiances to what was going on over in Europe. And Wilson won with the idea of, well, let's just stay the hell out of it and let Europe take care of Europe, and we're going to stay out of this. But Read my lips. Right. No new taxes, no <laughs> war in Europe. Yeah, but once, once America was in it, once um, – Wilson got drawn into that whole conflict. I mean, you sink a sink a ship with a bunch of Americans on board. The you Lusitania. Got, you got to make a decision, right? Um, well, well, well I'll, I'll bring it out later on. But there was that whole concept, that whole idea about let's stay out of this, and we don't want to get embroiled with what's going on in Europe. Led to some uh, some laws being passed in this country. Well, there's some interesting stuff with that. What were we going to say, Uncle Paul? No, I was going to say that they also carried knives. That's where the Dago, Dago came from. That Wait, word. what? The, all the people from Sicily were known to carry knives. <laughs> the dagger became the dag, Dago. And and WAP was a, a, a northern Italy expression, guapatella, which then became guap, WAP. They, they dropped I thought it. it was without papers. No, no. Oh, wow. All right. That they used that later on at the uh, Ellis, Ellis Island, Island. Yeah. but that's not where it originated from. And besides that, you know where the street bands for funerals came from? Came from friggin' Sicily. Really? And it got adopted later on by the black people in New Orleans. They just jazzed it up just a little right. bit. They took the, the sadness out. The, there, there's nothing better than... Uh if you can hear uh, uh, jazz music down in friggin' or even the blues, anything down in New Orleans, they don't know how to not have fun. Oh, been there, done that. It's a that's my plan for that one here. But we're trying to set up uh, what we can, if we will, for uh, the the America that these guys are coming over into. Now it should be stated too that uh, a lot of these anarchists, well, uh, they're not against violence. They're not peaceful people, but they're also not going to fight in a war they don't believe in the governments that are involved with. So. Mm. Our boy Sacco and Vanzetti both flee to Mexico to avoid being drafted in World War One, which, when you're Teddy Roosevelt, that's disgraceful. That's like he would not have that shit. This is you got you should be excited to fight for your country, all right? But now, uh, what gets even weirder is that under Woodrow Wilson, who, by the way, former governor of New Jersey, there's your tie-in, Kahuna. <laughs> Uh, Two tie-ins in one episode. I Jesus. There's a couple more too, which get in callbacks to earlier episodes too. Uh, one of Woodrow Wilson's writings uh, that he started um, you know, putting out regularly, uh, he expressed a fear that uh, the biggest threat to American sovereignty now is uh, coming from within. That there's this idea that these people are coming in here and they're actually not on board with what we're doing and they're going to try to be uh, subversive from within. So that's the threat that he's starting to pick up. Yeah, I mean, the America entered the First World War in April of 1917. All right, so... Wilson ran on the campaign of, you know, we're, we're going to keep you out of this war that's going on in Europe. Now they're drawn into it by April of 17. Uh, on a flag day ceremony, Woodrow Wilson, so the president of the United States on a flag day ceremony on June 14th, quote, woe to the man or group of men that seeks to stand in our way in this day of high resolution. The next day, the president signed the Espionage Act. Now, the Espionage Act was a set of uh, uh, was a laws that anybody who spoke against the government, anybody who said anything that was disloyal, profane, scurrilous, or abusive language against the government or the Constitution would face a fine of $10,000 and a prison term of 20 years. 
Could have built a wall. <laughs> Could have built a wall, but yeah, but so I mean, they, it's not exactly the, the States, freedom of the speech. Right? Yeah. They don't. They don't want any dissenters. There will not be any dissenters. We're going in the war. We're going to win this friggin' thing, and we don't want to get embroiled with any of this upheaval that's now going on in Russia with the with the Russian Revolution and and it, Russia's it, gone. The by world the, stage. You don't want to be is, the next one. Yeah, yeah. the world mm-hmm. stage is is a, a scary place. A scary place. Um, most Americans supported the war, but uh, again, now you got all these immigrants and everything else. That uh, hey, you're you're you came from those places that are pretty scary right now, and we don't want any part of that. So you know, let's just keep ourselves away from anything that has any kind of a, a, a shadowing of, of that. That's what's going on in Europe and Russia and all over the world, really. Take that mustard gas and go home. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, now that's the America that Sacco and Vanzetti have arrived in. They both want to live a better life here, and they're both willing to work for it. Um, Sacco worked as a shoemaker and a night watchman, and Vanzetti was a fishmonger, which I believe uh, my understanding of it is. Uh, it's a guy who has sex with fish. Is that correct? <laughs> I might have read that wrong. I think, yeah. correct, I think the correct term is fish fucker. Is that where Master Bader came from? Or? <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we are no longer allowed to be played in schools. <laughs> so, no, very interesting jobs here. Uh, now, the problem that these guys have is that uh, this is something they have in common. Like we said, they don't actually meet until 1917. But uh, they're both believed to be, and this is where we're going to need you, Uncle Paulie, um, the pronunciation of this one. I will screw it up. Both are believed to be followers of a man by the name of Luigi Galliani. That's correct. I've dated enough Italian girls. All right, Luigi. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so Luigi, uh, I almost said Luigi. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Uh, Freudian slip. And that's minus one point for Kev. Lu- uh, well, uh, there's a backstory to that one, bud. Um, <laughs> Luigi Galliani is an Italian anarchist who is in America now and openly advocates for change through violence. Uh, Galliani and his group were listed as enemies of the United States. Uh, they were constantly under investigation. He put out a book. Um, I, I want to see if we can't put this one up here. Um, do you know the name of the book, Uncle Paul? No, I don't remember. All right, because the translation of it is uh, Health is in You. That's a book he put out, right? Sounds like a, yeah. a very happy thing. So. Conaca Cervisa. Yeah. So it's a subversive chronicle. Well, it's it translated. It's roughly "Health is in you," and then that's not the title of a book that you would expect to be about how to make your own bombs at home. But it was. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, right. right. It was a manual, so you didn't have to go online. Well, you couldn't go online back then, but you could get his book and figure out how to make bombs. Well, because they had that, and they had the uh, the anarchist cookbook. So basically, I shouldn't have just typed that into Google, and we might get a SWAT team here in a, that's right. in a few minutes You're or now so. on the watch. You're off the hook, though, Kahuna, because you're logged in as Ming, so Ming is going to get a couple <laughs> uh, There you go. Okay. <laughs> I think I hear a helicopter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Galliani, uh, he's in the United States, but that's not after he created all kinds of mischief in Italy and, and throughout Europe before he came over to the United States. So he's got He's got a, a pretty nasty track record by the time he gets to the United States. He, uh, he's an interesting guy here, too. Um, now, uh, his book, Health is in You, gets largely suppressed via printing. Now, this is the crazy part here. America doesn't want to do this stuff. We don't want to have – you want to have freedom of the press. You want to have freedom of speech. But when these bombs are going off on almost a seemingly daily basis, you start having to restrict civil liberties. It's a very slippery slope here because you have to juggle uh, freedom and security. So – now, this uh, handsome fella, Galliani, over here, 
Uh, he has uh, he's got a bomb making manual, and he's also been a main suspect in several bombings and also an attempted mass poisoning. Because that, hey guys, I got this great idea I want to pitch you. It's uh, it's called Anarchy, and uh, here's how you're going to learn about it. Uh, I'm going to poison all of you. Somebody poison the water hole. <laughs> <laughs> Not too far Jeez. off, man. Wait, what did he try to do? In 1918, Galliani and eight of his most closest allies were deported by the United States. All right? Um, so uh, th- there is something to that, that it does work. I hate to admit it, okay? But oh, no. <laughs> deporting these guys worked. Uh, now, the problem is they got him and eight of his closest confidants, if you will. They did not get all of his followers. So now the group is going to be even more active going after, um, you know, seeking revenge. Yeah, one of his uh, big um, key points, too, is that it was like the power of one. One guy can can shoot the governor or uh, assassinate somebody or blow somebody up or um, it didn't have to be murder and mayhem. You could just rob somebody, too. If you if it's a really rich guy, well, he doesn't deserve to have all that money when you don't have any. It's just only fitting and only right that you yeah. rob him and take some of his money and, and put it in your own pocket. They don't believe in possession until it's something that comes off until, their plate. Right, so exactly. That's always the joke. I always had a um, – it's, it's such a brilliant joke from Colin Quinn when he was talking about just the idea of uh, Marxism. Uh, the Communist Manifesto was written by Karl Marx and uh, Josef Engels. And uh, then they're sitting there and Engels and him finish it and like, hey, what do we call this book You know about how property belongs to everybody? And Marx goes – well, Marxism. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. But brilliant joke on that one. Here. I'm getting the tagline on that one. Oh, it was great. So they uh, they get rid of him. Now, um, the subsequent actions, because uh, you go after uh, Galliani, but now his supporters are all pissed off. They wind up bombing the home of the Attorney General of the United States. Yeah, that, that was... Uh, the power of one. Be uh, the change you want to see in the right, world. Right, right, right. It was it was supposedly to like a propaganda kind of a thing to fire up the rest of the... The working class to uh, you know take arms and uh, start the revolt by you know by this action, people are going to get all fired up and and start uh, you know burning down the castle type of thing. You created a patron saint. Yeah, that's the problem. We talk about that a lot too. With um, there's people who weren't about his actions, but there's a lot of people that also hate Sacco and Vanzetti for what winds up happening to them. But they find uh, the characters to be sympathetic because they thought they got railroaded by the government. We'll get into that here in a second. This is probably, in, what, in the midst of, like, fear and stuff like that after all of this? That's the problem. You, you need law and order. When things when there's law and order, people are – they tend to be more happy and uh, want to let shit slide. But the problem is you got these bombs going off all the time. There's these groups that are causing enough of an issue that the president has to start warning about them uh, in some of his speeches. Now, this is the craziest part. It's not all just these terrible anarchists. There's some weird shit going on in the government too. Uh, Andreo Salcedo. I get that one right, Uncle Paul? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, He's a galleonist, if you will. He is suspected of involvement in a couple of the crimes we talk about. Mysteriously falls to his death from the 14th floor of the Department of Justice building. Twice. (laughs) (laughs) Took a flying lesson. Didn't work out so well. Now, depending on how you want to spin this one, uh, a lot of his friends and supporters say that uh, he was a man uh, who refused to betray his uh, comrades, if you will. So he bravely took his own life rather than cooperate with the police. And then the other people Mm, like, "Ah, the federal agents kind of gave him a... Yeah, they gave him the old treatment. A strong suggestion. Yep. <laughs> On three. Yep. They gave him the old uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, Let's you know. see how far this guy can bounce. <laughs> he made a popping sound. That's right. 
Not far off, man. Uh, now, on April 15th, 1920, this is where things go crazy. So you got these bombings showing up in the news. People are nervous about it. There's a little bit of an anti-Italian uh, immigrant thing, but definitely an anti-immigrant thing all over. Um, now you got these guys. And let's keep in mind, too, uh, a lot of the uh, the crimes that were being done by some of the, uh, the, the, the bad Italians, if you will, were being done to other Italians. So uh, on April 15th, 1920, the paymaster and an armed security guard for the Slater Moral Shoe Company were shot and murdered during a robbery of an estimated over $15,000 payroll for the company. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could I could have my own rival shared universe studio for $15,000. Hey, I will mute your mic. I'm going to set up right across the street, and I'm going to charge $2 less an hour. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a lot of money uh, today, shitload of money back then. So... Uh, now these You'd guys be set for life with money like that back. Then, you could buy Sicily for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now uh, the robbers were described as. You want to guess, Uncle Paul? What what nationality they think these guys look like? Well, again, they mixed them with everything. <laughs> Any kind of low class character, you were then. So. And you take a look at these guys. They do a pretty good job of looking like that. It's an interesting yeah. part. There's good images with him. That's uh, uh, we're going to put up that photo on the Instagram account. That I mean, he's the, got a uh, bigger stash than your dad. <laughs> it is impressive. There's that almost might a not be a mustache. That might be actually a snot rash. <laughs> <laughs> ah, your cat got in the photo again. Um, but uh, oh wow, I didn't notice this. They're wearing handcuffs in this. Oh yeah, yeah sir, hand, handcuffed <laughs> yeah, to one another. A... You now, said they didn't meet each other until 1917. They knew the handshake. And they could speak the language, too. Now, uh, the robbers were described as Italians. Uncle Paul, they were able to tell that because these guys were impeccably dressed, kept saying, use guys. Use guys. And they spoke with their hands during the entire (laughs) robbery. Hey, come on. What are you doing to me over here? That's why they can't talk in phone booths. You get bloody hands. (laughs) Not going to lie, dude. I I thought you were legitimately reading off info of why these people thought it was them. I was like, no. There's no way. Well, my old joke for one of my exes was if I want to get my girlfriend, she was Italian, if I want to get her to stop yelling at me, I hold her hand. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But... uh, so, uh, yeah, now, unfortunately, um, these two guys get shot, the uh, armed security guard and the paymaster. The robbers uh, shot the guard four times and the paymaster once in the chest and once in the back as he fled. More cowardice shit that Teddy Roosevelt would not tolerate. Um, they then reportedly got into a dark blue stolen Buick and drove away while firing shots at the other employees. Okay. But they had a lot of witnesses. Yeah, so they already have the money, but just for good measure, let's shoot up a few people uh, as we we speed off. Yeah. Yeah. Terrifying shit here. Um, Now, a similar crime had occurred in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. All right, so that's only a few miles away. Uh, A few months earlier, this similar crime happened, and the Bridgewater police chief, uh, you want to talk about a wasp name here? Michael E. Stewart. Michael E. Michael E. Stewart. That's about as uh, white Anglo-Saxon as they get, I think. But um, Stewart. He's, uh, I think you so, got to roll your R's just a bit. Stuart. I'm going to give him more of a, a British Stuart. Oh, Stuart. Okay. <laughs> All right. That was just a practice run, by the way. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Limited time, only trial. So uh, now he suspects. Uh, he goes, oh, this sounds like the work of Italian anarchists. And mm. I got one of those douchebags in my neighborhood. This one I'm going to ruin, Uncle Paul. Ferruccio Coacci. Uh, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stuart discovered... Uh, when he went to uh, go to the apartment of uh, Kawachi, um, he finds out that this guy – now, this dude's the most interesting linchpin of this entire conspiracy. The guy's name is Mario Mike Buddha. 
Okay, he's another known anarchist. Lived with Koachi. Uh, Koachi is slated for deportation on the day of the Braintree holdup. That's the one that shoe company mm. where uh, the, those shots just got fired and that the paymaster and the security guard were killed. He's slated for deportation that day, but early in the morning calls up INS and says, "Guys, my wife's sick. I can't leave today." All right. They then uh, send give people a guy to, a break. They send people to his house because they say, "Okay, we'll figure it out." But they're going to send a, uh, cops over to investigate it. Cops show up and uh, they realize there's no sick wife or anything like that. It clearly was a lie. And they said, "Hey, we'll give you one more week to get your shit together, and then you're out of here." And he goes, "No, I'm okay. I'll leave now. This is a day later." So pulls off, a, in theory, allegedly. Right. Pulls off this huge crime and then decides, well, I can go back now. I made my money in America. But uh, so he's it's just uh, a grub steak to go back to the old country with. Exactly. You know, it's uh, he goes, I tried to, you know, I, I tried to do what I could in America, live the dream a little bit. But uh, later determined, like we said, to be a false alibi by the investigating officers. And he is deported shortly after with his entire family and all of his possessions, among which might have been a chunk of that $15,000 payroll. So. Now, Buddha is questioned by Stuart himself. They almost have this weird thing. Uh, you guys have both seen uh, The Usual Suspects, right? Mm-hmm. So remember the end? Great movie. Chaz Palminteri just has that, that amazing scene where at the end he just realizes every lie he's been told and drops his coffee mug on the ground. That's exactly what's happening with Stuart and friggin' uh, Buddha right now. Buddha's just spinning up the bullshit like you can't believe. So He limps away and starts walking, never to be seen again. It, it's, <laughs> it's so close to that, you have no idea, dude. Buddha's being questioned by Stuart himself. He discovers that uh, Koachi owns uh, the same gun that was used in the murders. The gun is not present in the apartment. They can't find it anywhere. But there's an owner's manual for the gun. Okay. Then Koachi, uh, uh, you know, he's gone. You can't find him because he's been deported. And then Buddha is sitting there. And he goes, oh, well, do you have a gun? And Buddha shows him a gun. He goes, oh, of course I own a gun, but shows him a different gun than the one that was, uh, you know, anything that he could be implicated for. It was a Spanish pistol that he was showing him. Uh, he goes, uh, oh, do you, um, do you have a car? You know, Stuart's asking him. And Buddha goes, you know, I do have a car. It's, uh, it's in the shop right now. It's an old car getting worked on. I mean, it's, <laughs> right. it's just be- So he's got an excuse for everything. So Stuart finds the garage that's doing the repairs for him. Okay, and he tells the uh, the foreman on the job if he tells the owner the, the the lead mechanic he goes when someone comes to pick this vehicle up you call the cops right away because we want to know who's coming we're going to come down and see who's picking it up and they said okay whatever you need right then he goes back Stuart now discovers that Koachi who he just had fucking deported worked at both shoe factories that were robbed so the Braintree one and then the crime that happened a few months earlier Koachi worked for both of them. So now he's sitting there. He goes, oh, I got to hurry back to this house so I can arrest Buddha. Buddha's gone at this point. Koachi's back in Italy. And Buddha's a slippery guy, man. You never so he, find he him. He did again. the skedaddle. Uh, so there's his Kaiser Soze moments. But uh, now uh, get this one here. On May 5th, 1920, a.k.a. Cinco de Mayo for our regular listeners. <laughs> there you go. Um, Tequila. <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs> Buddha arrives back to uh, pick up his car from the garage. So as slippery and as quick on his feet as Mr. Buddha is with the bullshit, he still he doesn't know that the cops are waiting hey, for it's him. Still there. my car. I gotta have my ride. Mm-hmm. So he shows up. Does not show up alone. Okay. Decides he's gonna bring some uh, some people here with him. Uh, now the what Mr. Stewart, the police uh, chief, suspected was that uh, Buddha's car was used as the second getaway vehicle because there was tire tracks that would have matched the Buick. Near, I'm sorry, the, uh, I'm sorry, that matched his car next to the Buick that was abandoned from the Braintree robbery. You know, this guy isn't exactly Columbo. 
didn't realize that. <laughs> <laughs> Stuart, yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta ask you something. Yeah. Yeah. There's one more thing. Just yeah. one more thing, sir. <laughs> your car. I mean, where, where did you Where did you put your car? So uh, maybe a little more uh, Clouseau. <laughs> yeah, you're right. right. It's not to my dog. It's a boom. Want to go even worse? Maybe more Inspector Gadget. Go go gadget anarchists. But uh, so now on uh, May 5th, he shows up and uh, he's not going to show up alone. All right. He shows up with a couple of his boys and uh, these guys all have his back. Now, uh, these guys' names are uh, Nicola Sacco, Bartolomeo Vanzetti, and Ricardo Oriciano. All right. Very good. All the men knew each other. Uh, and uh, Buddha once referred to Sacco and Vanzetti as the best friends I had in America. Mm. So know how to pick your friends a little better. That's mm. all I'm trying to say here. The police are alerted and all the men flee. All right. They leave. Uh, Sacco and Vanzetti uh, were caught and arrested because they hopped on a streetcar and the cops just followed the streetcar. Uh, Buddha disappears. You know where they finally find him, Uncle Paul? No, but I think he took an Uber, didn't he? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he took Called an Uber. Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. We'll pick you up. <laughs> he took an Uber all the way back to Italy. That's where he pops back up. Uh, never sits trial in America. Never caught. Never arrested. He doesn't resurface until 1928. This dude knew how to hide and disappear, man. So, Ariciano was arrested a day later, but gives this good alibi that he was at work both days of the crime. And uh, it checks out. They check his paperwork, everything like that. Now, Sacco claims that he was working the day of the Bridgewater crimes, but the day of the Braintree incident, he goes, oh, yeah, I was off that day. Now, a little suspect here. Now, Vanzetti. Vanzetti becomes the most sympathetic character in the story because this guy worked for himself. He was a fishmonger, like we said. Uh, which literally means that you sell fish, fish. lobsters, squid, everything like that. Uh, so he's his own business owner, which means he doesn't have a boss that can confirm he was working that day. He's self-employed. Now he's fucked. All right. So they go ahead and uh, they get him pretty good here. Um, he's got no alibis. And when Sacco and Vanzetti are arrested, they both give conflicting stories. All right. But they both deny immediately any connection to anarchist movements. Unfortunately for them, <laughs> Sacco was found carrying an Italian passport <laughs> – uh, lots of anarchist literature and a cult pistol matching the shells that were used in the brain tree robbery. All right. So that's almost like, uh, oh, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not in with those anarchists. It, it reminds me of the scene from Austin Powers, uh, one Swedish made penis enlarger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sort of thing. That's not my bag, baby. Austin Powers book, Swedish made penis enlarger. <laughs> that kind of thing is my bag, baby. <laughs> It just gets worse and worse. <laughs> now, poor Vanzetti is found to be in possession of, get it, the same pistol that was reportedly taken from the security guard. It was killed in the robbery uh, of the Braintree incident. And uh, also four 12-gauge shotgun shells, which Uncle Paulie was saying the shotgun was being you know, kind of fired out of the car at people. Um, you got to remember, there weren't a lot of different kinds of guns available in those days. Very it's true. not like today. So everybody had, you know, a World War One leftover thirty-two, and uh, it's crazy because you were telling us earlier that the size of these bullets, um, mm-hmm. a lot of them are just gonna, you know, it's not really a kill shot. It's more of a we're gonna annoy you with this, <laughs> <laughs> especially on big people. Uh, unreal. But uh, now uh, this is where this shit just starts to escalate real quickly. Sacco, unfortunately, uh, is charged with uh, just the brain tree murder. Okay. Uh, but Vanzetti has no alibis, gets charged with both the Braintree and the Bridgewater crimes. So of the two of them, our boy Vanzetti, the guy with the mustache, he's fucked a little extra. So <laughs> um, 
Their arrests and their trial lead to more bombings and riots among their comrades. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Like, hey, we don't like you guys are being unjust, so we're going to bomb some shit and riot and, you know, just uh, just make sure that we're as unlikable as possible so you guys don't possibly think of listening to us. I'll never understand that one. But bombs are going off uh, too here. Now, it is rumored that because of their arrest and uh, the day that they were indicted – that their friend Buddha, who has now disappeared underground, right, um, allegedly orchestrates the Wall Street bombing on September 16, 1920, which kills over 38 people and wounds over 100 more. And uh, the rumor is that that was done uh, as a response to the indictments of his friends, Sacco and Vanzetti. Just doing his job. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was bombings all over the place, and it wasn't just all related to uh, Sacco and Vanzetti. There was there was bombings across the country, and... Um, in the spring of 19, 1919, there was bombs targeting the government and law enforcement officials and everything else. Uh, package bombs were delivered to the home of a former U.S. senator, uh, the guy by the name of Hardwick. Uh, he escapes uh, injury but his, and his, as well as his wife, but the maid who opened the package survived alibi with uh, several injuries uh, a month later. In the in Seattle, uh, the mayor of Seattle receives a mail uh, bomb sent from New York. Um, days later, there's a postal worker who reads a newspaper item about uh, the Georgia bombing uh, and the description of the package that reminded him of a group of parcels that had dealt that he had dealt with a few days before. Right? Oh shit! And yeah, so now he goes and intercepts. Uh, 36 different mail bombs, and they were targeting some some pretty heavy hitters. Oh, boy. It wasn't just, you know, John Q. Average, Oliver Wendell Holmes, John D. Rockefeller, <laughs> J.P. Morgan, uh, and some other notables, so that uh, there's a definite red scare, if you will, going across the country that these anarchists are really up to some, <laughs> they're up to some hijinks for sure. So, and, and all of this is playing in the background of... Uh, Sacco and Vanzetti's uh, shenanigans uh, with the robbery at the at the shoe factory. Yeah, it's no way. It's, I always laugh when people are like, I just can't believe how bad things have gotten. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. Yeah, right, I really. To tell you. you don't know your history, yeah. dude. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You got anything else on that one? Or? No, it's just with all these different bombings and everything else that uh, it became known as the Red Scare. And one of the bombs that went off in front of this guy's house, a guy by the name of Palmer, who was a... Um, uh, Emerson Lake and... Yeah, no, not Emerson Lake. Uh, but anyhow, and a bomb explodes in front of his house, Palmer's house, um, in uh, Washington. Uh, and the, the only guy that was really hurt in that bombing was the bomber himself. So he blew himself up. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, but... Rookie. Uh, <laughs> Palmer then starts this whole... Uh, investigation because you know he was a, a politico, so he starts this whole thing um, to to search to search out all of these different anarchists and stuff. And there's a major sweep of uh, undesirables. A lot of them happen to be of uh, Italian descent because that's who they were. The big fear factor was uh, there's a a guy who uh, happened to be a, a Justice Department lawyer at the time. Uh, you might recognize the name J. Edgar Hoover. Oh boy, <laughs> so, nice man. So he's put in charge of uh, 
finding out, um, weeding out these guys. And he I just pictured him answering the phone with a pair of heels on. I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he, there's all different uh, raids across the country, and uh, um, people are just rounded up without warrants and braided off to jail and off to uh, to be deported without trial or anything else. So That's, that, there's the, a huge yeah. How quickly all this happens is one of the other things that uh, gets people fired up and makes them more sympathetic. Um, do you have anything else before we go into the trial? No, because the trial is a fucking circus in and of itself. No, I mean, but I'm just trying to paint the the, the background. Before the trial even starts to become uh, a circus, totally. the whole country is in a in a in a circus kind of a thing with the all these various Palmer raids that, like three thousand people are rounded up across the country and just they're going to be deported, and I think it was maybe seven hundred from, in and around the Boston area, right where Sacco and Vincetti are uh, their, their home stomping grounds. But how do you tell so. who the Italians are in Boston? <laughs> <laughs> it's those grease bowls. Anthony. Yeah, it's just a Prince Spaghetti Day. Just a bunch of uh, <laughs> just a bunch of Nick DiPaolo's getting put on a boat. Um, now uh, Vanzetti, he's going to be tried first because remember he is on the hook for the Bridgewater crime as well. And uh, Vanzetti, I, I I developed a personal uh, admiration for him in the research for this. Um, Vanzetti chose John P. Vahey who was an experienced defense attorney in order to defend him. The case was prosecuted by Frederick Katzman, okay? And the judge was Webster Thayer, a man who earlier, uh, like weeks earlier, but he had already been assigned to the trial, um, had made a very public speech going against uh, Bolshevism and anarchism and was trying to tell the new Americans this is not how we do things. Uh, He also was known for not really liking the foreigners, but he was considered to be a fair judge. Now, I like to... Um, for this, I like to picture him as the judge from uh, My Cousin Vinny. I just think that's funny. That's right. <laughs> Two Utes. Did you say Utes? These Italian fellas. Um, that's right. <laughs> from Italy. <laughs> so uh, now he is considered a fair judge here. Uh, but the problem is Vanzetti's uh, – he doesn't want to testify on his own behalf, which hurts the case. Many of the prosecution's witnesses couldn't agree about the size of Vanzetti's mustache size and the style. <laughs> Which could have saved him, okay? So my father's a handsome guy, but, uh, you know, if you put Tom Selleck next to him, you'd figure out there were some differences, you know? Try to figure all that stuff out. But um, where it gets a little bit goofy here is that they tell Vanzetti that, uh, you know, these eyewitnesses can't properly identify you. Now, if you can corroborate with the witnesses that we've provided that are saying they were buying fish from you because uh, – Eels. Yeah, for Easter tide, right? Right. Now, what's that whole tradition about, Uncle Paul? Am I Sicilian? I mean, come on. <laughs> they, they like to fry the eels and put it on macaroni. Okay. And now, they move in the pan. It's very scary. They never die. Nice. nice. Uh, by the way, my favorite thing here was uh, not too long ago, Uncle Paul, he had a birthday. And uh, my beautiful Aunt Linda decided to surprise him. Uh, we had a nice little party. And uh, we're at the restaurant. And... Um, She's reading, uh, you know, uh, something she wrote out that she worked very hard on and announces that uh, she's going to be taking uh, her and Uncle Paulie are going to go on a trip to Sicily. And uh, in front of everybody, Uncle Paulie's response was, I don't want to go to fucking Sicily. (laughs) (laughs) They won't let me back. (laughs) It's because you're an anarchist, Uncle Paul. That's the problem. But uh, now Vansetti's uh, decision to not testify um, was allegedly made um, after counsel with Sacco. Okay, so Sacco's the one telling him, I don't think you should sit on, uh, you know, 
sit there because you have to remember too. The defense attorney is going to be able to talk to you and coach you through some things, but then now you're also open to the prosecutor. And you can't speak English to start with. Which is where a lot of that shit got really bad. Um, most of the uh, people who were uh, defending him on his behalf either spoke broken English or through an interpreter. Now, as Uncle Paulie has made clear, um, the you know he's from Salerno, right? And then uh, you got a. Uh, oh, his mother is his mother is from Salerno. Correct. Yeah. It's a uh, he's from. Joycey. Joycey. Orange, New Jersey. Yeah, that's, our, that's our... The what? biggest small town in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an interesting thing, too, because um, if you had someone who spoke English, right? Um, now, let's say you were being defended. Uh, let's say you were on trial in Italy, Uncle Paul, and they provide you with uh, an American lawyer who uh, you know speaks English, and he's going to be your interpreter so that you can speak to the people. But then you find out that he's from like deep, deep South Alabama. So goes, your medulla oblongata yeah. has to be torn up. Well, what my friend right here trying to tell us right quick is that uh, he ain't been around, all right, for a tussle or two with them. So that's, you take from that what you mean. But I mean, you got to remember there were 40 partitions in Italy, little fiefdoms, okay? They all spoke their own dialect. And Sicily wasn't even considered part of their whole thing. Also true. Fascinating. And it was also divided up. (laughs) So the chances of your interpreter knowing what you're talking about are slim to none. So between that and then the broken English testimonies, uh, the prosecution was able to discredit almost all of that. What could have saved him is if Vansetti went ahead and sat down there. But the fear was that the prosecutor was going to be able to cast him unfavorably because Vanzetti. You'll see where the evidence leads us with this one. But he is a devout anarchist. He's all about this shit, and he's a, a radical. I mean, he's in. He's in this whole crew. He's in the underground shit with them. And all, that's all it's going to take is to bring that up. Now, Judge Thayer keeps telling everybody to try to keep things uh, on, you know, on an equilibrium. I don't want to hear arguments based on, well, they're anarchists, right? Because that doesn't mean they don't have rights. We're a rule. You know, there's a rule of law here in the United States. Due process. It's what we're trying to have. But... That's why a lot and of when people. When you say his name, Thayer, it sounds like you got a speech impediment. <laughs> Thayer. <laughs> well, I say, I say, I say. <laughs> There's a regalness uh, to his name too. Um, but now uh, the anarchists, uh, the politics did play heavy into here, uh, which is unfortunate. But uh, this is where things get goofy. They, uh, because he won't testify, uh, they're actually forced to go ahead and render a judgment. Now uh, they come up with the fact that he's guilty on both accounts. But Judge Thayer, <laughs> much to his Judge, credit. You mean Judge Foghorn Leghorn? <laughs> I say boy. <laughs> what, I, what I mean to say is he finds out there's been some evidence tampering with the shotgun shells. All right. Because they were trying to figure out, uh, well, what angle would he have shot at? Blah, blah, blah. All this other stuff. So he finds that out. And uh, that was going to be the linchpin for the case uh, in order for him to be tried for first degree murder. Because of that, Judge Thayer, to his credit, uh, declares that part of it a mistrial. But they still have him on the robbery part, to which he gives him the maximum sentence of 12 to 15 years, maximum security prison for the robbery charges. Vanzetti comes to regret his decision to uh, choose Mr. Vahey as his defense attorney, who just a few years later, I want to talk about taking advantage of a situation. His own defense attorney, Vahey, joins his own prosecuting attorney, Katzman's law firm, a couple years after this trial. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, it was just coinky-dink. Yeah, there is, uh, there's some rough stuff there. But now Sacco and Vanzetti's trial is held shortly after. And again, with Katzman as the prosecutor. And guess who the judge is? Foghorn Leghorn? <laughs> Judy. Judge jo- <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh So they go ahead and bring him in as the presiding judge. 
Now, Fred Moore, uh, he comes in to be part of the legal team to defend Sacco and Vanzetti. He is an outspoken socialist and a member of the International Workers Union. Okay, and he clashes repeatedly with Judge Thayer due to courtroom decorum and uh, appearance issues. My cousin Vinny. Yeah, so just, now that International Workers Union, yes. they were also highly suspect of all this uh, seditious acts and uh, espionage and treason and everything else. Oh yeah, along with all the immigrants. I mean, if you're a nuts. labor, if you're a part of the labor unions, you're you're highly suspect. So uh, now they're not agreeing in the courtroom. They're he's. The judge is pissed off at one of the defense attorneys because he's uh, flapping his jacket or dusting his shoes off in the courtroom. These two guys fucking hate each other. Not a great way to start things off, especially when people's lives are on the line. Now, the judge and the attorney? Yes. They are not getting along at all here. Um, now, the anarchist politics, like we said, they do play heavy roles in this. Both men were known to be socialist anarchists, and the prosecution brought up that both men had also fled to Mexico to avoid being drafted to the service in the Great War, like we said. So they're already being casted you know, in an unfavorable light. Which has nothing to do with the trial at hand. Exactly. So that's the thing. That's why the judge is trying to say, let's leave that out of it. But the prosecution keeps bringing it up when they can. Little subtle hints. Right. Know. Called a mistrial. Uh, it should have been. That's why, um, again, these aren't – they're not saying that these guys weren't responsible in some part for what happened. They are saying that the proceedings were not held uh, to the high standard they should have been. So – uh, they bring in ballistic experts, which uh, Uncle Paul, you said, is a crock of shit, right? Yeah, it's, it's a joke. It's a joke. There's no way after you shoot a bullet into somebody and it crashes through bones and whatever else, that you're going to take that bullet and say, well, according to the spin, the rifling on this is a Colt. Bullshit. <laughs> and how many types of bullets are there? I mean, there's parabellum, there's, you know— Colt and, and what, there's only so, so many of them. So it must really anger you that someone back in the day was considered and paid for it to be a, a, ballistics. a, a, a ballistics, ballistics expert. expert. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it, what a great it's job. Nice. It's like a weatherman. Yes. Just, <laughs> I am the expert here. <laughs> so, uh, oh, yeah, where'd you get your degree, asshole? Yeah. <laughs> I gave it to myself. <laughs> I'm the expert. My, uh, my buddy Randy Stockton always had a great joke about um, – uh, when you would see the the you know fines for if your dog shits in the park and you don't clean it up, fines can range anywhere from uh, twenty five to two hundred dollars. And he goes, "Who judges that?" <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> but uh, anyway, uh, the ballistic experts and the eyewitnesses they continue to offer conflicting stories, much like earlier uh, in the the trial beforehand with just our boy Vanzetti. But this time, without the tampering charges, the jury hands in guilty verdicts of first degree murder. And the men are sentenced to death. So now, uh, old Sparky. Yep, uh, old Spark. Now the guy who's going to carry this out, Kahuna. You've been with us since day one. You remember the electric chair episode? Man. So uh, Robert G. Elliott, the state executioner, has to take a ride up from Jersey to come out there, and he's going to kill um, all three guys that are involved with this. Now there's a third member that we haven't got into yet. Gentleman's name was uh, Madero. Okay. The third guy that was at the garage when the when the no uh, that was he got off because uh, he uh, had an alibi that checked out because he was at work both days so he was just there hanging out kind of a thing. Uh, now this Madero guy, he's claiming that he's already on death row, uh, that he's going to be given the electric chair himself. Now he's trying to claim Sacco and Vanzetti had nothing to do with this and it was all him the whole time. All right. And he's making a couple of interesting arguments that start to make people think that one of the other people he's mentioning should be you know, held responsible for the murder actually bears a striking resemblance to Mr. Nicola Sacco. So 
Uh, they're starting to try to cast doubt on this. That's what they want to do. They want to cast a reasonable doubt so that you don't make a, the, the downright decision to actually execute these guys. Now, they also have other supporters too, not just socialist supporters, not just members of the anarchist movement and all that stuff. There's other people that are saying, hey, well, we don't like the death penalty. Because remember we talked about towards the end of the electric chair, people were horrified by the shit they were seeing. But uh, – well, because that shit was horrifying for a, for a long time. Absolutely. Like it was, oh, come on. A couple of eyes pop out and kind of smell like toast. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, you never burnt anything chicken in the oven? smell. <laughs> Tastes like chicken. Well, uh, again, like we said, other people that are signing these petitions and writing papers and essays about it uh, include H.G. Uh, Wells, who wrote War of the Worlds, and Albert Goddamn Einstein. So uh, these people are against the idea of this capital punishment here. Now, Sacco is an interesting guy. Uh Sacco was well thought of in prison. People liked him. The guards always commented on his good behavior. But um, they also said he never really showed any remorse. There was never – you know, and he had a lot of stuff going on too. But um, there is this idea the more you start to look into this case that Sacco was a little bit dirtier than Vanzetti. You know, they're both kind of bad dudes. They probably deserve to die. Not for this but for it, other yeah, things. That's the whole thing. You <laughs> got to catch him on something. Um, it was like uh, Al Capone going to jail for tax evasion. Yeah, right. We're fine with you killing people in the bombings in Chicago. Because we but, can't pin that directly on you but we yeah. got you on tax evasion. So they got these two guys who are Gallianists. All right. So he's talking about the guy he sent right. back to Italy. They got a chance to, to you know get rid of a couple more of them here. Sacco's last words on his way to the electric chair were farewell mother. Right? Just walked on out. So. Damn. Happy Mother's Day to all our listeners out there. <laughs> right, right, right. Why do I feel like you picked this character just because of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, now Sacco repeatedly uh, proclaimed his innocence, but like we said, never seemed to show any remorse for the crimes he was convicted of. People monitored him a lot. They had a lot of visitors in jail. They were very important. So now uh, Vanzetti had been much louder in his uh, defense of his innocence. He wrote constantly, spoke poetically. And impressed his captors with his good behavior and dignified manner. One of the people that came to visit him referred to him as the greatest American author of all time because he learned English and was able to write in it at such a high level and produced all of his work almost from death row within a seven-year period. Okay, this shit's wild. But uh, people are blown away See by See what him. a good prison education will get? Yeah, that's get right. You, just, I mean, uh, you know what? Yeah, I, I think it's this way. Uncle Paul, tell me I'm down. wrong. You see how much easier <laughs> it is to write when nobody's bugging you? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now, was it the public – was it people were still trying to save these guys or was it – was there still favorite, favoritism towards Vanzetti yeah. because he was the more – No, no. It, they, the two guys literally, pun intended, like the picture showed, linked to the hip. Okay. Let me um, ask you yeah, something. And, and, Did – what were they like together? Like, were they were they thick as thieves, or were they like fuck that guy? Fuck well, the other so guy. like we said, uh, Vanzetti used Sacco as his counsel to determine whether or not he should, uh, you know, testify in his they own. They were buds. Yeah, they they were yeah. buds. Okay. These were close guys. They knew each other for a long time. Same knew each gang, other very same, well. Same gang. Same, same beliefs, political right? same mindset. Taylor. Same tax evasion. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, uh, in order to uh, wrap it up over here, because we do got to roll out, um, Vanzetti, uh, like we said, much louder in his own defense here. Um, Vanzetti on his way uh, uh, out he got interviewed by a couple pretty famous people it was later said by one of the writers that was covering him no man planning a violent crime would ever take in their right mind a man like Vanzetti along alright because this guy's a bookworm that's all he's doing he's reading the entire time the prisoners are like get, get a load of this fucking guy alright he's gonna die soon but he can't wait to learn more <laughs> um, but it's very interesting here 
as he uh, is being walked down to the electric chair, quote, dead man walking, all that mm -hmm. other shit, right? Uh, he thanked the guards for their good treatment of him. He forgave those who were about to execute him <laughs> and gave a very long, beautiful speech. But then he was given the electric chair, uh, as was uh, his – now, the guy Madero, who was saying, oh, it was me. I did all the killing. He got killed first right, with the chair. Then they hit Sacco. All on the same day. Then they hit Van Zay. Oh, yeah. This guy was like, hey, I'm making the trip up. Let's make it worth my while, guys. All right. I'll do three shows. And uh, <laughs> He would walk behind you and go, zzz, I have a question for you then. What would suck more, being the first to be executed or the last? Because you're first, you're dying. You're last, you're going in and you're smelling death. It makes you wonder, too, because they're like, are you guys going to clean the chair off before I get it? No. You guys cooking eels? This guy just pissed himself and now you're making me sit in that. It's true. Now, the in protest of this, bombs are continuing to explode. Now, there's people doing things the right way. Petition, uh, active protest, uh, peaceful protest always accomplishes more than the violent stuff. As soon as you get violent, nobody fucking – now you've, you've undermined your own point here. So bombs are continuing to go off, but now it's an international incident. There's riots in Tokyo, uh, in South America. Buenos Aires. Buenos Aires. There's people protesting in England and France. Uh, there's embassies. U.S. embassies are going to be bombed for the next six years. Uh, with almost all the credits for all the bombs going to in defense of Sacco and Vanzetti. So these guys are dead now. Uh, as the bombs continue to explode, their funeral march is held in Boston. It is attended by more than 20,000 – I'm sorry. Two, yeah, 20,000 protesters uh, marching. Yeah, it's insanity, man. Now, the first head of the Major Motion Picture Association of America, uh, I believe the guy's name was Shaw. He actually has the footage of this destroyed so that people can't see the uh, the martyr, as you were saying, Uncle Paul, that they're trying to make out of Sacco and Vanzetti. Oh, the 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 funeral footage? Or yes. the, the foot oh wow. Yeah, the funeral footage. Now they were marching in Boston. They actually dug up the road uh, and put barbed wire and everything in order to uh, divert the parade routes so that it couldn't go in front of the courthouse because they, they wanted to uh, kind of showcase that uh, you know, we don't believe in you, we have no faith in you, fuck you, kind of a thing. But um, now, this is the craziest part here. Now, our boy Buddha, safe in Italy, later tells his fellow anarchists, well, Sacco was there, but Vanzetti was innocent. Good old Mario. <laughs> right. Last minute after the dead. Right, right. So uh, now Not Vanzetti. He fried and he's sitting in Sicily again right? with a couple Having of bucks in his pocket. Squidding macaroni. It's right. <laughs> now, their defense attorney uh, for the second trial when they were both being tried together, uh, he asked me, he goes, uh, Sacco and Vanzetti, guys, please do me a favor. Please uh, make an oath and ask for there to be no more violence in response to your conviction because shit's going crazy on the streets right now. Uh, and uh, they both agree to that. Now, uh, as they're about to go get the electric chair, the attorney asks me, goes, and do me a favor, swear on the Bible one more time uh, that you're innocent. And Vanzetti does it immediately. Mm. Sacco never does it. Mm. So – um, again, that's why Van Zetti is a little bit more of a sympathetic character over here. Um, now, their ashes get sent back to uh, Italy. And uh, in 1941, Carlo Tresca, who was an anarchist leader and a member of the Sacco and Vanzetti defense team, said, Also, Sacco was guilty, but Vanzetti was innocent. Now you have martyrs. So, well, here's the problem is that uh, you got both of them here together. Do you let Sacco off the hook? Um, you know, uh, along with Fancetti, or do you whack them both? That's the question you got to ask yourself. It gets a little bit crazy here. The, their death was appealed twice 
their death sentence, I should say, was appealed twice to the Supreme Court. And the governor of uh, Massachusetts was asked to give them clemency and denied it to them. Okay. So the government was all – it was almost like a hit piece. Like these guys got to go. All right? right. Get rid of them. Get rid of them fast. So that's why uh, it's not necessarily that we have – we're sympathetic to the anarchists. It's that we don't like the due process got thrown out uh, in the process. You know? But um, in wrapping up here though, I want you guys to know this. Uh, it's not all bad. Okay. Um, Governor of Massachusetts, Michael Dukakis, issued a proclamation that they had been unfairly treated and that all negative association to their name should be expunged. When was this? You hear that, Sacco and Vanzetti? Yeah. It took August, us a little while. August 23rd, 1977. Wow. Into the mic, LP. Um, <laughs> we heard it. It's all good. <laughs> all right. This is wild, though. I was trying to – because you know how, like, most of these electric chairs are named? Some of them are. This one apparently was so infamous it doesn't have a name and it doesn't exist now. Only thing left is the the helmet. See, that's the crazy part. It's a, and it's weird too that the Massachusetts electric chair helmet looks exactly like the old leatherhead helmets from the early NFL days. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're gonna wrap up here, guys. I have a gig I have to get over to, and uh, Uncle Paulie's got a prime rib to start tomorrow for Mother's Day. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And uh, gotta brine that sucker. Exactly. Uh, Uncle trip Paul, to Sicily you don't fucking want. <laughs> <laughs> that already happened. That happened. Uh, Uncle Paul, um, anything else that we leave out? Any other notes? Yeah. What the hell's an uncle compared to a? What do you call him? A, <laughs> A dilf? A dilf? What's, a, what's, what's, what's an uncle? Oak? <laughs> We're going to have to look this one up. Listeners at home, if you want to bang my Uncle Paul, uh, come up with a name for it. Hey, don't forget, I, I gave you your first kiss. <laughs> I was in the audience. This idiot's on stage. Everybody knows I'm an uncle. He says, tell me about your first kiss. And, his act, and he goes, oh, my uncle put me on. Everybody's looking at me now. Like, I did this for real. I love didn't I specify which uncle. Also <laughs> Uh, what else did we leave out, sir? I don't know. I think we kind of, yeah. Our hour's got to be up by now. Come on. It is. These poor bastards. Um, LP, what it. else you got, no, sir? Just a, a quick little aside with all those Palmer raids when they were rounding up all these uh, undesirables, and there was a whole backlash of that because they were doing it without um, warrants or anything else, that uh, that actually led to the formation of the ACLU. Um, the ACLU was created, the American Civil Liberties Union was created in 1920 as a direct result of all these Palmer raids. It was suggested in uh, January 13 meeting to um, change their name to the National Civil Liberties Bureau or as the ACL, which held its first meeting. Anyhow, the long and the short of it, um, the ACLU's first action was to challenge the Sedition Act, which For the and guy, allowed them to round up all of these guys. So it, it's it was an important landmark case in history, and it even gets a nice shout out on the uh, Columbus episode of The Sopranos. So mm -hmm. it's good to know on that one. Uh, I want to say thank you to Mike and Ming and the Shared Universe for letting us do this. Thank you to the Kahuna for not bleeding on any of the heavy equipment. How do um, you know? It's a red table. It's a <laughs> <laughs> I can say thank you to my father for making me love history. I want to say thank you to my Uncle Paul. Uh, you know, you were the perfect guy to talk about this fucked up topic with. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I fell asleep. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> if you guys like the show, please check us out. Uh, if you're listening on uh, SoundCloud or iTunes, go ahead and leave us a review. Give us a click the like button, whatever you want, man. Get involved with the show now. We're making a format change down the road, and we want to reward the people that have been here with us since day one. Give us them five-star reviews, baby. A couple of five-star reviews, always nice. Uh, if you want to leave a written review, that even helps because we can track those a little bit easier. But uh, anyway, guys, uh, we had a great time doing the show here. 
I got to go because I'm already late for something. But that was uh, Sacco and Vanzetti, American Losers. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born.